And this is View of the Valley's podcast. This is Chris Smith and TJ Hoover. TJ, how are you doing today? Happy to be here. Beautiful day. Dad's all over the Midwest. Must be excited. Great lawn mowing weather. Get out there, get your rider out there, your jorts and your white New Balance tennis shoes. It'd be a great day. How about you, Chris? How are you doing today? You know what? I can't complain. Uh, the weather is nice outside. Thinking about doing a little fishing after we get done here. And uh, maybe I'll end my streak of not catching a fish over the last uh, handful of opportunities. So you're just getting your, your line wet. That's all you're really doing when you're out there? Yeah, well, I, I usually reel in a nice moss fish. Ah. Um, sometimes I'll Very catch tasty. a nice tree bass, but yeah. I struggle to catch the normal fish. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've been fishing. I would like to mention before we uh, get too deep into this, read today the passing of Evansville Purple Aces great Jerry Sloan. Most of us recognize him for his NBA career with the Bulls and then obviously uh, coaching the Utah Jazz for so many years. And we'll dive more into him next week when we get into Evansville's uh, Mount Rushmore. So I uh, just want to recognize and you know, our thoughts and prayers are with uh, the Sloan family at this time and everyone who you know, looked up to Coach Sloan over the years. But during today's episode, we will get in more in-depth into the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley schedules, transfers, that are transferring into each of the conferences while also doing our Mount Rushmore for Belmont and Drake. But first, let's get into the head-to-head matchups between the conferences. Now, last week we talked about some of the Power 5 conference teams that'll be taking on a Missouri Valley or Ohio Valley conference member. Um, There are quite a few teams in each conference that still have not released many games to this point. But they are starting to trickle in, and one of those games is Eastern Illinois at Evansville. And, I mean, that that's going to be, I think that game was towards the end of non-conference scheduled play, uh, right before Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley get into their conference schedule. Also, there's Murray State at Carbondale, and SEMO also plays Carbondale. You got any thoughts on Carbondale playing either of those two schools this season? I think regionally it makes great sense for those schools to play each other. Uh, obviously, Murray State's been top of the league for the Ohio Valley last couple of years, so that's a good test for SIU. I think SEMO is one of those games that's so close to go from Carbondale to Cape Girardeau. And I'm kind of sad to see the end of the SIU-Carbondale-SIU-Edwardsville uh, tilt that we've had the past couple of years. But I understand that, too. You know, Things kind of evolve. It's really interesting, though, to see how much uh, or how slow it is for the conference schedule, non-conference schedules to trickle out this year and the drastic difference. Like you look at Drake on the Missouri Valley side, I haven't seen anything for any of their games, even an MTE. But then you look at somebody like Evansville that seems to have their schedule filled up. Uh, SIU Carbondale has theirs filled up for the most part. But it's just interesting, and I wonder how much of an impact all the COVID-19 news the uncertainty of what's going to happen come this fall, winter schedule is going to start. You know, you're hearing all sorts of rumors that maybe football won't start. Maybe that'll be pushed back. And then basketball gets pushed back beyond that. But then you're hearing other conferences like, hey, maybe we should start mid-December to really kind of get ahead of this thing in case there's another spike and and the cases going around the country. Because we just don't know right now. It's just everything's so fluid and just have to be adjustable right now. But I think the Missouri State-Southern Illinois game is always a kind of a a small rivalry game that between the conferences and just being in the region that you're kind of competing for those same kids. I think you know Evansville looking at they've really kind of beefed up what they're doing when you look at crossing over to 
the Ohio Valley Conference as well, and that Eastern Illinois. I mean, in terms of commute, that's got to be that's a bus trip. You might be oh, bus yeah. trip there and bus trip home that day if you're uh, Eastern Illinois. So, what do you think about the head to head, so to speak, with uh, or the home and home between Evansville and Belmont? That's not something you see very often anymore, especially non-conference. No, you really don't see it all that often anymore. Um, I think it really helps Evansville more than I think it does Belmont right now because Belmont's, you know, typically you're in and you're out there atop the Ohio Valley. And this gives the Evansville fans, you know, a quality non-conference opponent to go out and watch in your uh, hometown. And, you know, bringing them back to Belmont, you know, it's another non-conference game for Belmont at home. But I think I think the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley are, I don't want to say they're trying to do more home and homes, but it seems like the last couple seasons, there have been a couple of these schools that have played home and home. I think Murray State did that with, I, I may have been Evansville uh, a couple years back. Not entirely sure, but one of the schools did that just recently. Um, but there aren't a lot of games that have been, you know, on the docket so far between the two school, two conferences head to head. And as you said earlier, a lot of that may have to do with, you know, with the COVID, everything's trial by air right now. But when you look at the Ohio Valley, I mean, you know, Moorhead State really hasn't scheduled anything yet. Jacksonville State's only scheduled like two games. Um, Tennessee State and UT Martin, they both haven't really done a whole lot to this point. So there aren't a lot of games head to head between the conferences right now. But I can almost guarantee you that by the time everything is all said and done, there will be quite a few games between the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley on here. Um, but Simo and Carbondale, they play each other, it seems like, year in, year out. And it's great. It's only like, like I think like an hour or maybe even less than that drive to between the two campuses. Right, it's probably only about 45 minutes as the crow flies, but there's no easy way to get from Carbondale <laughs> yeah. to Cape Girardeau. I mean, it's some beautiful countryside over there, but yeah, it's a tough tough sledding. Yeah, it's not an easy way to get there. Um but I think this this matchup this year will be even bigger considering Brad Korn has had a lot of ties to Carbondale. And I think this will be a pretty um, intriguing matchup, and it'll be a very exciting one for him. Yeah, he, play, he played a big part in the heyday there in the two, early 2000s, first as a player and then came back as a coach, and then has his connections with Missouri State there under Paul Lusk for a couple years. So he's seen some success uh, both at – Southern Illinois Carbondale and when he was at K-State under Coach Weber. So it'd be interesting to see what he brings to the table. Now, when you think about the scheduling and, you know, the non-conference schedules when they come into play, is there a certain school from each conference that you would love to see a home and home that you have not seen in a while? In terms of like what Ohio Valley team I want to see come to Carbondale? Sure. I think you start with Belmont, Murray State. You've seen. I think it would be really cool, and then maybe give me an excuse to get to Nashville, take my wife down there. And be like, hey, let's let's go and and watch this. You know, I find my ways to trick her into things that uh, hopefully you now she's going to realize because she's going to hear that. And she's like, "You're not tricking me. I know exactly what's going on." But you know, I like Belmont. I think that's always a, a fun town. I could probably get my wife to go to a game at Tennessee Martin, given that uh, Pat Summit's one of her heroes, and that's where Coach Summit went to school. So. Either one of those would be really interesting. I think it's always cool to go see new arenas and stuff like that as well. That, that's part of it, you know, when you start thinking about where you want to go play. Yeah, I 
I would love to do a tour of like all the Ohio Valley, you know, schools. Um, but it takes a lot of time and definitely some mileage because there, there's no easy way to get to Jacksonville State, considering that's, you know, not close to anything around here. Um, but Belmont, you know, you were mentioning them. They actually came to SLU last year, and I kind of like when SLU has, you know, games against the Ohio Valley, especially, you know, Belmont, Murray State, when those schools come there because it gives you a great opponent to go watch out of that conference, and it requires no travel at all. You know, you just cross over the bridge, and there you are. Right. I, I do like it when SIU Carbondale plays at SLU. It's a much quicker drive, and like we've said before, that facility, you know, the Chaffet Center, is such a great facility for watching basketball. Uh, you know, I always wait for the conference schedule to come out, and I'm always trying to figure out where I can double dip. You know, yep. like if Indiana State and Evansville, if one of them plays at home on Saturday and the other one plays at home on Sunday, can I go watch one of them play on that day and then just hop over to the other direction? Um, you know, and family in different areas, like you know, that you look for SIU Carbondale to be in those areas on a weekend game, you know, but I think I've, I'm such a nerd that at one point I figured out like how many miles would I have to put it on to make it geographically to make, just make a loop of all 10 schools. Like, could I possibly do it where I could just, if I won the lottery, here's what I'm doing. I don't have to go, go to work anymore. I'm going to go watch 10 games in a row, which I know I'm, I'm out there on the far end of people that think that's a, be a good idea. Like, you know, there's some places that get pretty cold, in you know January February, like you really gonna go watch a game? They're like, yeah, heck yeah! You know, you get you need Valparaiso. Valparaiso is a great area, but down here in Southern Illinois, we don't know what lake effect snow is. You yeah. know, they get they get snow. Like, well, when when's the snow gonna melt? March. Like, that's, <laughs> we're like, well, we we better go play in the snow today because it just got here. Yeah, so, yeah. I, so those are kind of the weird daydreams I have when I'm in the car by myself and just getting some behind the windshield time. So. Uh, but with that, we're going to move on from the schedules. Hopefully, by next week, we'll see some more games trickle out. And I know that there are a few Ohio Valley teams that are supposed to be participating in a tournament this season around Thanksgiving. Not sure which teams those are at this point. They'll be in those tournaments. Um, maybe we can get you those teams by next week, and uh, we can touch on that. There are any Missouri Valley teams playing any tournaments? Yeah, the only two I haven't found uh, MTEs for right now are Drake and Valparaiso, which you would hope those are kind of in the works because, like we talked about before, those are great opportunities for those schools to play some of those uh, Power Five conferences since they're not going to come to your campus and maybe they're not willing to, to have a buy game. That's some place where you're going to go. The interesting thing I'm going to see is the ones that are overseas, meaning that you're going to have to take a plane to. Like I know Puerto Rico still. Uh, you know, part of the United States, but taking a plane there for Southern Illinois, you know, are they going to allow that? Are the schools going to allow that? Are you going to be able to afford that? I mean, I see tournaments here for Northern Iowa going to the Cayman Islands, Missouri State, Jamaica. Um, what else? Illinois State's going to Cancun, and that'd be a really good one because Clemson, Purdue, and Mississippi State are going to be there. So that'd be a well, really be- good chance. You know, if you're Illinois State, if you can win two out of three there, that's you're you're coming away with a pretty good deal. Absolutely, and. Uh, Bradley's going to the Virgin Islands, and that's a huge tournament that they're going to go to there for the Paradise Jam. So it'll be really interesting to see. Maybe we can dive into those a little bit deeper next week as well, kind of figure out where those teams are going and uh, what we think of their chances there. Yeah, the, those uh, locations are not only are they great for you know the team, but it's an attraction for not only the players' families, but also trying to get you know some of the fans for each school down there. Yeah, it could 
could be a little pricey depending right. on what you want to do and where you want to stay. But I mean, if you want a vacation, yeah, go down there, enjoy it and watch a couple basketball games while you're there. Hopefully they will still allow it because those are great, you know, places to go and play a game. But I guess time will tell if, uh, if that's allowed. But moving on from the schedules, we're going to get into the players transferring into each conference this season. I know last week we did the couple players that were transferring out of the conference. Uh, but TJ, do you want to get it started off with a Missouri Valley transfer? Yeah, I, I found three kids that are going to be able to play this year all for varying uh, reasons. I started out at Indiana State. TJ Howard's transferring in from Towson State University as a junior, averaged 10 points a game. Uh, 6'2 kid. He gets to sit this year. He's a grad transfer. And uh, the reason he's available right now is because he sat out last year after a disagreement on his role. I think from what I remember reading is he wanted more of a point guard role and they wanted to move him to the shooting guard, which is something you don't really hear about. But maybe that's that kid to fill Jordan Barnes's role at Indiana State to complement Tyreek Key and those sophomores that they have coming back for next year. Um, what about from the Ohio Valley? What are you looking at over there? One of the guys that just transferred in not too long ago, Madani Diara, uh, he was a freshman at SLU this past season. He is transferring to Eastern Illinois. Now, he appeared in just four games, so he didn't get a whole lot of playing time. But St. Louis also has had a lot of outstanding players there the last couple seasons under Travis Ford. So he should see plenty of playing time in the Ohio Valley. Big physical presence. He's 6'10", 240. Uh, he went to high school at St. Benedict's Prep, which is in Newark, New Jersey. And Newark seems to be a hotbed for some talented uh, basketball players as of recent years. Um, but he's a great transfer for Coach Jay Spoonauer in the Panthers. Now, Eastern Illinois does return their top seven scorers. So will he see a lot of playing time right off the bat? Probably not. Now, I do believe he does have to sit out a year. Um so by that point, some of those scores may have graduated and he might be able to come right in and, you know, fill those shoes right away. So and that may be what Spoonhour is looking for. He goes, hey, you know, got a lot of leading scores that'll probably be out in a year. Now, DR might be able to come in and fill the void that one of these guys just left and we'll be able to pick up where we left off. Yeah, and it's always interesting to see how those kind of guys are going to gel, how they're going to fit in with the program and. I get confused sometimes on when guys get waivers, when they don't get waivers, and the different uh, parameters that come into play there. Missouri State, like we talked about, I believe it was in our first ep episode, bringing in seven kids, four of which are transfers, Jeez. and three of which can play this year. But the one that stood out to me is a kid by the name of Demarcus Sharp. He's coming out of Colby Community College. The reason he stands out to me is not because he's 6'4", I mean, because that's, that's pretty average size sure. at the division one level even for a mid-major but he seems to fill the stat sheets so he already he gets to play right now average 16 and a half points and almost five boards per game but then he averaged five and a half assists per game so imagine wow. that you're, you're pouring in 16 points a game but still have time to get out you know five six assists a game and then um, two and a half steals per game so Maybe that's the kind of guy that he's the unselfish player that he can do all sorts of things for Missouri State and really kind of feed into that atmosphere that Coach Ford's trying to create there. Absolutely. Uh, one of the guys that I got, Brandon Huffman, uh, he's a transfer from North Carolina, and he is heading to Jacksonville State. Now, he is a grad transfer, so he should be eligible, you know, right away. Now, his stat line, it's nothing all that exciting, you know, 
He didn't get a whole lot of playing time at North Carolina, played in just 14 games this past season, did play 70 career games for the Tar Heels, but he only scored 96 points in those 70 games. He did have a career-high nine points against Tulane during the 17-18 season. But, yeah, he didn't get a whole lot of playing time for North Carolina, but Huffman is not a small guy. He's 6'10", 255, and for... Ray Harper and the coaching staff at Jacksonville State, I really believe he he's going to come in right away, and he's going to get some playing time. Now, he left North Carolina on great terms. Um, you know, he wasn't getting a whole lot of playing time, but um, he wanted to go somewhere where he could end his career eligibility getting some playing time. So if you're transferring from North Carolina and you have one year of eligibility left, I can guarantee you you're not going to transfer to a school where you're just going to sit the bench and not play. So I can bet that him and Ray Harper had an understanding that, yeah, you come in, you work hard, you're going to get a lot of playing time. And with his size, there's no reason why he can't find success in the Ohio Valley. Well, then you have to take into consideration who's he been practicing against for the last sure. few years. You know, we always, I always think about from at a high school level, like teams after they win a state championship, like, well, they just lost that big senior class. Like, yeah, but those juniors have been going head to head with them for the last three years. Those guys are going to be kind of tuned up, and you know, I would put the starting lineup from North Carolina up against any school in the Ohio Valley or the Missouri Valley in terms of getting you ready. Oh yeah. So, granted, he wasn't able to break through and get lots of playing time, but again, he's seasoned. It's probably a little bit more physical game at that level, and it's just a different ball game. And he'll probably be able to bring that Ohio Valley and kind of bring some leadership as well. Well, yeah, and especially practicing with everybody else on that Tar Heel roster the exactly. past couple of years. That's only going to help him bring some experience to Jacksonville State. Right. The last one I had is a one that kind of brings the two conferences into play, and it's SIU Carbondale. They br- they're bringing in Ben Harvey. They actually brought him in last year in Coach Mullen's first year recruiting guys into the school. Transfers from Eastern Illinois, where he played his freshman year. Sat last year. He gets to play this year. He's got three years of eligibility left. And as a freshman at Eastern Illinois, he averaged 10 points and four boards four boards per game. So kind of that in-between guy, you know, uh, can he play both ways? Can he play, you know, to the two guard, to the to the four? He, you know, hopefully he can log some serious minutes for the Salukis this year as they're looking to kind of transition. Some people say that second year is even tougher than the first year under a new coaching regime, and we've seen quite a bit of turnover this year at SIU as well. I don't know who you had for your third transfer, though. The last guy I got on the list for today, uh, Nolan Taylor. He recently played at Cal Poly, and he is transferring to Southeast Missouri State. Now, he only averaged 6.1 points per game this past season, and he only played in 14 games. However... He played his two previous seasons before Cal Poly at Pepperdine. And while at Pepperdine, he saw a lot of success. Now, injuries were a problem. Um, He only played in 15 games his sophomore season. But during those 15 games, um, he averaged just under nine points per game. And he did have a career high against Cal State Fullerton, which was 35 points. So he's shown he can score the basketball, and not only that, he did average, I don't know, he had a handful of double-doubles throughout his career, um, 15 times through three seasons. But injuries is a key part to him. Can he stay healthy? If he can stay healthy, that's a solid guy for Brad Korn 
that he just brought in. He's got three years of experience out on the West Coast. Now, he didn't start every game out there in three seasons, but he did start a lot of games at Pepperdine his first season. And, you know, he's six foot seven. So he's a big guy. And if he can stay healthy, this could be a guy that Simo needs to help try and bring the program back up, considering they've had a lot of transfers leave the past couple seasons. So it's kind of nice to see a Division I player transferring into the program that will also help, uh, you know, Simo's uh, Nebraska transfer they got last season who had to sit out, and we'll get into him uh, on the next episode. You know, I just saw again that it was tabled until at least January, the NCAA discussing this one-time no-sit transfer rule. I think there are people on both sides of this issue, kind of people that are for it, people that are against it. I think kids, people that are parents, families that have kids going to go to these schools, maybe they're in favor. What do you think in terms of looking at it maybe just from an NCAA standpoint and more directly from the point of view from our conferences, what will schools like Ohio Valley and Missouri Valley Conference schools, how will they handle this? From an NCAA standpoint, I I understand why they have – you know, the restrictions on, you know, if you transfer under a certain cause, yes, you have to sit out a year before you can play again because they don't want, you know, every player just transferring their school when they're not getting what they want. Um, But at the same time, if you're like a mid-major conference, if you're able to get a guy from, let's say, a Power 5 conference school that, you know, a DePaul maybe, or, you know, a, a Texas A&M, some guy on a team that's not getting a whole lot of playing time because there's a great player that's in front of him and he's just kind of, you know, you know, sitting off waiting for an injury or something to happen to get his chance and you find him and you can bring him in. Yeah, it'd be great to see him get to play right away because he's lost, you know, you know, a year or two of playing time just by sitting the bench and you think he wants to sit again for a whole year just because he transferred? Absolutely not. And that's where I, I don't like the transfer uh, eligibility part to where you have to sit out a season for that reason. Um, I would love to see the players come in right away and get playing time for a mid-major conference. But then again, you look at it the other way. Okay, you got guys that are really playing well in the Ohio Valley or the Missouri Valley. You know, all OVC player of the year, all Missouri Valley player of the year as a sophomore, all freshman team. And now they're thinking, wow, I got a chance to play at a bigger school. (laughs) I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go play there somewhere else. And I think that's so I have mixed feelings on it. I'm not sure where I stand because I see both sides. But from being a Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley conference fan, I don't want to see a great player transfer out and leave. Yeah, I'd like to see them do what they can to better themselves. But if you're good, you're good. They'll find you. Right. I think you kind of get into that. Well, they should have the right as as an adult. They should have that that privilege to do that. But I think, too, that sometimes even at the professional ranks, like sometimes you end up someplace and you've signed a contract and now you're unhappy. I think the difference comes in, though, when you, it's because it's not apples to apples when you think about a professional contract and going to a, a college and that those coaches can manipulate it to like, well, hey, Chris, you know, we're not going to renew your scholarship. You're like, well, I thought I was here on that. But then again, I like you said, if I'm a kid like Marcus Damask from Southern Illinois, 
supposed to go to Northern Kentucky. Coaching change kind of falls in the laps of Coach Mullen's uh, staff there. Has a great freshman year, newcomer of the year, freshman of the year. And, you know, that's the ideal kid that I think of, like the picture perfect of like, all right, I have my one year here at SIU Carbondale. Boom, let me go to an Illinois. You know, maybe I can come off the bench at a place like in Indiana or something like that. So from a fan standpoint, I don't know that I like it. From a practicality standpoint, a personal freedom standpoint, I definitely like it. It'll just be interesting to see what the landscape is. I know Coach Calipari said, hey, we'll be handing out, you know, business cards and shaking hands at the NCAA <laughs> tournament. But there, I think that's what the difference is, is what it would take to kind of have an outcry about it would be have a kid from a Power 5 conference, one of your top players, transferring out suddenly. We don't see that because those are the kids that are going yeah. to the NBA yeah. draft instead. So if you had some kid transfer, Frank, can you imagine if – Zion Williamson, no, I'm not going to the NBA next year. I'm transferring to North Carolina. Holy cow. There would be, I mean, everybody would be up in arms. And those oh, yeah. are some of the blue bloods. So the NCAA would definitely stand up and listen to something like that. It'd be a huge change to the 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 grounds. Kind of what's going on out there. I lost my words. So we'll move on. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the transfer, it's, it's such a tricky tricky word it's a tricky topic for more than one reason and the re i guess the one reason why i do like the reason you have to sit out a year is you know if if you're a player that the program is trying to build around the coaching staff's putting a lot of confidence and respect into you know making you better to help you know, bringing other guys to build around you. Well, if they're working their butt off to improve this program, and then you're like, hmm, I've had enough. I'm done in two years. I'm gone. Well, then it's like, okay, the program's starting back over. Right. So I, that's where I do like the, you know, sit one. But at the same time, if there is a coaching change and you're recruited by a certain coach and that's why you committed to that school, and then there's a coaching change and then you leave, I think you should be eligible to – to come in and play right away. Yeah, that's a great point for that aspect. But with that, that's going to move us into our Mount Rushmore for this week. And this so week, our Mount we'll Rushmore be doing a Mount this Rushmore. Week, I'll get it started with Belmont. Belmont. And this was not an easy, easy decision trying to get four guys in here because Belmont has had plenty of talent come through their program over the years. But my Mount Rushmore is going to be strictly players from the NCAA era. And the first guy on the list, Evan Brad's 2014 to 2017 career. He's the leader in points during the NCAA era at Belmont with 1,921. Led the NCAA in field goal percentage in 2015 and 16, nearly 69% while shooting 71% during the 2015 and 16 seasons. He was a 2016 and 2017 AP Honorable Mention, OVC Player of the Year, and he is a two-time mid-major All-American. Now, this is a guy that I got to see play quite a bit during the last, uh, you know, five years during his time as I was watching, you know, the Ohio Valley like it was my job. But he, seeing what he did at Belmont, Every time he would play SEMO during that stretch, I'm like, oh, this, this guy's probably going to put up 45 <laughs> points. Can't guard him, never can. But he was real fun to watch during his career at Belmont. Next guy on the list, Ian Clark. 
played at Belmont from 2010 to 2013, second in points with 1,920 during the NCAA era, 102 wins during his four-year career. Wow. So during his time at Belmont, they were winning games left and right, and he was a huge part of the success. Outstanding three-point shooter, shot over 42% for his career. Behind the three-point arc, he made 343-pointers during his four years. He was a 2013 All-American and Naismith National Player of the Year finalist. 2012-2013 OVC Co-Player of the Year. Now, he was a Co-Player of the Year with Isaiah Cannon, who is who everybody knows who he is, as he's had quite the accolades throughout his playing career while in college and at the professional level. And Ian Clark has also spent time with the Utah Jazz, the Denver Nuggets, Golden State Warriors, and the New Orleans Pelicans, which he is now playing overseas. But Ian Clark, another great player from Belmont that was had no short of success. He was a deadly three-point shooter. Teams had a hard time guarding him. And he was one of the players that led Belmont to great success during you know the NCAA tournament. Next guy, Wes Burtner. Played at Belmont from 1999 to 2002, totaled 1,833 points. Now, during his career at Belmont, he never averaged less than 14.3 points per game for a season. Started 91 of his 110 games. He was the 2002 Student Athlete of the Year by CollegeInsider.com, and he was the College Hoops Insider All-Freshman Team. Now, this is a guy that played few years back you know back around you know the early 2000s when my brother-in-law was playing at SEMO but this is a guy that didn't get a lot of play in the Ohio Valley because back then they were in the Atlantic Sun so Wes Burtner one of the better players to play at Belmont before their time in the Ohio Valley Conference last guy on the list Dylan Windler a lot, of, a lot of Ohio Valley fans know who this guy is as he just finished his playing career in 2018. He played from 2015 to the 2018 season, totaled 1,687 points while also collecting over 1,000 rebounds during his career at Belmont. Started every game his last three seasons. He was the first player from Belmont drafted into the NBA in 47 seasons. He's a two-time first-team All-Ohio Valley Conference 2018 and 2019. Two-time academic All-American, and he did record 36 career doubles. And let me backtrack here a second. He was the first player from Belmont drafted in the past 47 seasons. I think I said earlier he was just the only guy drafted in 47 seasons at Belmont. But he was the first guy drafted in the past 47 so, I mean, there was a lot of great talent at Belmont, TJ, and there were a couple players that I could have put in here that have had great success in recent years that has helped Belmont get to the NCAA tournament year in, year out. But these four stood out the most, and again, that was from the NCAA era. Now, I probably could have put somebody else in there if I was mixing the two together, but seeing how much success Belmont has had at the Division One level here, I felt these four guys were most worthy of a uh, 
nomination on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, you kind of get in there, kind of get that gray area. Do you do you talk about their non uh, Missouri Valley years? Or excuse me, on your case, the Ohio Valley years. Uh, you know, I'm, I was looking at Evansville and their years before they get into the Division One level, and it's kind of one of those gray areas. But those guys still contribute to that history yeah. at a different level. But are, are they the reason they get there as well? You know, and you're going to have that when you look at schools like SIU Edwardsville, who hasn't been a Division One school very long, but they're, all their Division One has been at the uh, at, in the Ohio Valley Conference, I think. So, you know, what do we do with those guys? And, and that's why it's subjective. Yeah, you know, it, if, it's I mean, if, we, if it was objective, we wouldn't even have a debate. We wouldn't have any discussion. You know, you wouldn't have uh, like the NBA is doing now the all uh, all time starting five for the the teams going around the league. There, yeah, it's all opinion based. So, I went to. To, excuse me. I went to Drake this time because it's obviously the next one alphabetically, and Drake has been associated with the Missouri Valley since 1907. I think there was an incident somewhere in the 50s, um, and where they had left. But really, they're probably the the senior member of the conference when you look at it from that standpoint. But they've also had some pretty dark years. I think they went a 21 year span where they didn't have a winning record. Holy cow! So. You know, when you start looking at, like, yeah, they've been there the longest, but they've also had, you know, some of the, I think on Wikipedia, it even said the dark years, you know, and, you know, but going to Drake, Des Moines, I'm going to tell you right now, is an underrated city. Me and my buddies take a trip every year. We've done it for 19 years, and Des Moines is our number one place to have gone. That it's just there's they have some great watering holes there. You take a trip to Des Moines. Not, not just to Des Moines. It was one year we went to Des Moines. Uh-oh. And that's when uh, they sell the Iowa Barnstormers in town. Okay. And obviously post Kurt Warner days, but just a fantastic town. Some you know great places to go, and we just overall had a, a great time in Des Moines, Iowa. And I get the same reaction of everybody, like, how is Des Moines, Iowa? And I'm telling you, other than when I went to Drake's bookstore to add to my college book or my college shirt collection, and the guy there was like, oh, yeah, I remember when we beat SIU in St. Louis. I'm like, you know what, buddy? <laughs> Maybe I don't need this shirt, <laughs> but still, uh, don't sleep on Des Moines, Iowa. If you ever have the chance, I highly suggest you go. Where'd you take your your guys' trip? Oh, I went to Des Moines. Yeah. They, what? We, yep. And you know, there's some. I would go back in a heartbeat. There's no doubt I would go there in a heartbeat. Uh, maybe that's my road trip this year. Go watch the Salukis play there on a Saturday and hang out at some of those uh, good establishments around there. So I start out with Willie McCarter and. He is their fifth leading scorer despite playing only 77 games. He was there from 1966 to 1969. I thought he deserved to be on this list because he led their third place team uh, that finished third at the NCAA Final Four in scoring, MVC's 50 greatest, and also his jersey's retired. Lewis Lloyd was my next one. He was the sixth leading scorer all time with 1,500 points in just 57 games. Was there from 1979 to 1981. So you're talking Larry Bird era, you know, for when he got started. I guess he would have been right after the Larry Bird era. But he was a two-time Larry Bird winner and averaged, still leads the school in scoring average with 30 points per game. Wow. So he was pouring it in. Um, Late addition for me was a guy by the name of Red Morrell. And I may be saying that right, but he was the school's all-time leading scorer for 50 years. So twice in the 2000s that he got surpassed, but he was for over 50 years. So he's still third in the scoring, and he set seven records at Drake, including 51 points in his final game ever 
against Houston. I think it was against Houston. Um, and he's the first Bulldog to have his number retired and had 18 games where he scored 30 or more points, but still isn't the all-time oh. leading average, or, <laughs> you know, because because he's behind Lewis Lloyd. Now, my fourth one I struggled with is maybe recency bias. It may be because this, this guy came into play in that great year that they had in 07-08 when they uh, – won the conference title and the conference tournament title, but Adam Emenecker. So if you watch on ESPN Plus, he's their color guy when they broadcast those those games out of Des Moines. Larry Bird winner, 10th in assists. And there was neither one, like the 10th in assists probably is the only place I found him on their leadership boards and probably doesn't sound like he belongs on this, but he was a walk-on for three years. Holy cow. His senior year, he starts 33 games wins the Larry Bird Trophy, and takes the team to the MVC tournament where they get beat on an impossible shot in the NCAA tournament, which is still one of those top 10 buzzer beaters on ESPN. So there are a couple other guys I could have put on here. He's not jersey retired, was after the 50 greatest was voted on. He's still not in the MVC Hall of Fame. I don't know that he will be, but I thought that story alone kind of goes along with my guy from Bradley last week. But a hell of a story. Yeah. You know, and maybe he was a preferred walk on because he played 12 games as a freshman. You see, he played a few more games every year, but really didn't start a lot of games for that senior year. He starts 33 games and he's the best player, voted best player in the conference for that season. So he rounds out my top four or my Mount Rushmore in terms of Drake basketball. Again, We'd love for you guys to reach out to us. Do you have some objections to the things that we have to say? Maybe you know we're crazy, or maybe even tell us we're spot on. Any kind of feedback at this point would really be welcomed, uh, whether you want to reach out to us on Twitter or on our email page. Yeah, absolutely. Anything you guys need, you know, have to say to help us improve or you know think we're doing a terrible job, just let us know either way. Uh, but next week, we will get into our Mount Rushmore on Eastern Illinois and Evansville. But with that, that'll kind of wrap up the show. Um, TJ, you got any final thoughts? No, I don't. I hope everybody has a great weekend, a great week by the time you guys get a hold of this. And uh, we enjoy all the support that we've gotten so far and uh, look forward to reaching out to some of our uh, listeners in the future. Yeah, and I'd just like to mention that, you know, we have had quite a bit of listeners through the first two episodes, a lot more than we would have thought we would have had by now. Um We've had listeners through ten states through the first ten up or through the first two episodes, and if you'd have told me we'd have had listeners in ten states through two episodes, I you know wouldn't have believed you. So we appreciate all the support all the listeners we're having so far, and we hope you'll continue to uh, tune in and uh, you know interact with us on social media or you know whatever the case may be. Tell your friends and family to sign up too. The more ratings, the more listens we get, the better it is, and it kind of uh, strokes our ego as well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I would also like to mention that during our next episode, we'll have our first ever interview, and me and TJ are both very excited about this. We'll be having at the D1 docket on for an interview during episode four. Yeah, we've been really ad- ad- admirable of the work that he's done building up those schedules. We just kind of get his story and see what his passion is for mid-major basketball, just like Chris and I have for our conferences. Yeah, so hopefully you'll tune in for episode four and get to know about the D1 docket and how, how this all came about. But with that, that'll wrap up episode three here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we give you our Mount Rushmore for Eastern Illinois and Evansville.
be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. That's V I E W V A L L E Y S P O D. View Valleys Pod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.